this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back with another requested review this week. Requested, requested review. Back for the attack. Back for the attack. As they the say. Beast. The beast from the east. Yes. Yes, indeed. Under we lock are, and key. We, more. We're are, breaking the chains. Are we invading your privacy, Jay? Oh, wait a minute. That's rat. I'm sorry. Fail. I get do- I get Rat and Doc and mixed up sometimes. I don't know why. They have really no crossover that I can think of. Did they share a guitar player at any point? No. All right. Unchain the night, Tim. Okay. Well, I was breaking the chains, Jay, but I just got lucky there that we got go. a requested review. This there you is, go. This is funny for like three people that are listening. <laughs> Hey, that's what the show's about, right? right? We're not mass mass appeal here. No. We want to drill down our audience <laughs> as narrowly as possible. So, Chip, that was for you. Like I said, we have request review this week. The person who requested it actually asked to remain anonymous. So we're going to respect their wishes, and I will use a gender-neutral gender term when describing them so we don't know if it's a male or a female. Uh, but they suggested that we check out a band called Sensefield, and their album from 1997, excuse me, 1996, called Building. And here's what they said. Well, I got to leave out part of it. I've never seen a band that deserved to, quote-unquote, make it more than they did. Building, the album, is largely considered their critical peak and very emblematic of that post-hardcore pseudo-emo time period, as well as influential to a legion of bands thereafter but tonight and forever was their biggest success that was released in 2001 so not of the years of our coverage they had a song on that i believe it was called save yourself if i'm not mistaken and it was on a soundtrack for a tv show in the early 2000s so we'll get into that stuff but i want to thank our anonymous donor for bringing this band to our attention we've never talked about Sensefield. they might have come up in our emo episode i don't remember when we did that back uh at the beginning of the year but jay were you familiar at all with Sensefield before we got this rec- request uh really no I, uh, you know i had heard the name but mm-hmm. uh i really had no idea what the band would sound like so for all practical purposes no i'm in the same boat i had not listened to a lick of music by this band so it was completely unfamiliar. How about we make ourselves familiar with their backstory by talking a little bit about the history of the band. History of the band. So Sensefield were a band from uh, California. I don't know where in California. The Wikipedia doesn't, doesn't explain that. But they were uh, uh, formed originally in... Um, 1991 they broke up in 2004 and then got back together for reunion shows in 2012 and 2013 uh the band was uh john bunch 
Chris Evanson, Rob Pfeiffer, Rodney Sellers, John Stockenberger, and Scott McPherson. John Bunch being the lead singer. So they released their uh, first album, just self-titled, called Sensefield in uh, 1994. I believe that was on Revel- yeah, that was on Revelation Records, which they released their first three albums: uh, the self-titled Sensefield, Killed for Less, and then Building, which we're reviewing, came out in 1996. Then they signed to Warner Brothers, and this is where things get very 1990s. So they signed to Warner Brothers after the release of this record, Jay, 1996, mm-hmm. and they start working on their next record. Well, then there's a turnover of staff at the label. So they get shuffled around, and then there's mm-hmm. more turnover, and they get shuffled around again. And now it's 1998, 1999. They still haven't gotten any sort of word on when a record's going to be released or anything like that. They get to 2000, 2001. They've got a record done. And the label says, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and release you. So they were on Warner Brothers Records for five years without releasing. I mean, they got to release... A split EP with Jimmy Eat World in 1997, and they did an EP in 1998. But for all intents and purposes, intense, not intense, intense and purposes, they were uh, they were kind of sidelined for about five wow. years, and uh, they they were told basically that they could um, re-record. They couldn't take the recordings. However, they could go to another label and re-record everything that they had recorded which is mm-hmm. what they did. They signed to Network, which is a Canadian label, and they released in 2001, September of 2001, Tonight and Forever, which had the single uh, Save Yourself, and that was on a compilation of songs for the TV show Roswell. I don't remember that show, Jay. Do you remember it? Vaguely, yeah. I think it was around the same time as Lost, right? And that started. Mm, Roswell was, I think, a few years before. Okay. Because Lost started, I think, in like 2004 or five or six, somewhere in there. Okay. Anyway. Maybe X Files spawn. Yeah, I think more of an X Files. Yeah. yeah. So they were able to do some uh, late night TV shows like The Tonight Show and The Late Late Show. And they followed up that record in 2003 with Living Outside. Uh, but they ended up breaking up in. 2004, like I mentioned earlier, and John Bunch then became the vocalist of the band Further Seems Forever, which is interesting. I mean, they were an established band. That was the band that uh, I believe that Chris Caraba was the original lead singer of that band before he went solo and then, you know, did Dashboard Confessional. So John Bunch was the uh, lead singer of Further Seems Forever. And then in 2006, Bunch and one of the members of Further Seem Forever did an acoustic duo called Fields Forever, where they played acoustic versions of Sense Field and Further Seems, for, for, Further Seems Forever songs. Hmm. Um, and then the, some of the other guys from the band went on to work with uh, other bands. Scott McPherson went on to become a touring member of Elliot Smith's band and Neil, and Neil Finn's band. They, Like I mentioned, they reunited for Revelation Records' 25th anniversary in 2012. Played some other shows in 2012. And then, unfortunately, this is where things get sad and and dark for the band. Um, In February of 2016, John Bunch died uh, at the age of 45. There were some benefit shows that were done in uh, memorial shows in 2016 after his death. 
So that is the history for uh, Sense Field. I want to remind everybody that you can uh, make your suggestions over at our Dig Me Out page. Pretty much for 2016, I think we have all our spots filled, but you can already start making suggestions for 2017, or you can join us at Patreon to join our 250 level, and uh, after 12 months, you get to request a review as well. So, Jay, now the little history of this band. Um, I want to get into uh, some feedback we got on Patreon from one of our mm-hmm. Patreon subscribers. Keith, who we had on the show recently for our Boston episode, uh, he was going under, you remember how he changes his name based on, uh, I think it was some sort of Star Wars thing. Yep. Uh, his new name is Mo- Molly, Monique, Laura, Sarah, Nicole, Candy, Dorm, and Renee. I don't know what that has to do with Star Wars. Anyway, he said, I remember Revelation Records having some cachet in the early mid-90s, especially among skaters. Their prior album, Killed for Less, had some good Sunday Date Real Estate-style proto-emo moments, but I didn't stick with them. Stick with it for the major label foray that followed this one. So, actually, there was nothing really said about this record. All right, okay. Keith. Thank you for your feedback. You, you mentioned the first re- the record before this and after this. So, I hope you enjoyed it. Let's talk about whether or not we enjoyed it, Jay. Let's talk about one thing we liked about this record. I'm going to start with you. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Building by Sensefield. Well, I think the band has, uh, has, has stumbled on a great sound. I mean, I think there's, um, there's two guitars that are complementing each other, but also adding some variety and some texture and some uh interest it's not always the same thing but it, it's it, they do this um they do this really well where they the second guitar will get uh reference the melody that the other guitar is playing but do something different and sometimes they almost clash which i think is cool too so you've got that going on there's really a punchy dry drums which you know becomes pretty powerful through the record but then i think to make it all work the the vocal um, I think is really strong. I think it's a unique voice. I think it sits really well in the mix and with the band, um, with with how busy sometimes the the rest of the band can get. Um, because I think the tone of the voice it always is usually able to sit on top of everything. Um, so you get a really clear um, you get a clear mix of everything. You can hear every individual instrument, but at the same time. Uh, I think they really can come together and sound cohesive and and pretty powerful at times. Yeah, I want to uh, jump off there with regards to the vocals. Um, as far as my one thing that I really liked, I think he does a really good job of playing with his vocal and creating interesting counter melodies. I'll take a track like Will as an example, where he has this main line through the... Uh, the song but then he counters it with a uh like a falsetto part that just creates this sort of you know something you don't hear a lot i think enough it uh in rock music in general whether it's emo or whatever sub genre you want to get into uh, a lot of bands are just are just not attuned to or not willing to explore different sounds in the vocals as they are with guitars or drums or bass or what have you. You yeah. know, it's especially when you talk about emo and hardcore or post-hardcore or post-rock or whatever you want to tag bands like this with, they tend to 
the vocal becomes a just a delivery system for lyrics and he's got some really interesting lyrics a lot of it is the way i interpret it is there's a lot of um family uh oriented lyrics growing up in a way that's not what you describe as typical emo you know i don't want to reduce emo to a certain set of lyrics but it tends to be you know it's derived from emotion so there's a lot of like relationships and and personal demons that are dealt with within the lyrics and um he tackles it a little bit differently in the sense that when i'm reading the lyrics to like will i don't necessarily read them as about a relationship between a boy and a girl they almost read like a father-son relationship and I don't know mm. if you picked up on that. I only picked up on those super blatant father-child references and in the light of things. I mean, he uses those words. Well, I actually kind of called out in that song that it was, I don't know. Whenever I hear those words, it's a bit of a red flag to me. Mm -hmm. Like blatant, like uh, father, child, mother, sister, brother. Right. Uh, Usually I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what do we got here? You know, seems just a little too on the nose, I guess. Um, so I mean I do tune into to the to those references in that song. Um, other than that, no, I didn't dig much deeper into the the lyrics. To okay, it, I mean it didn't feel like um, overly sentimental or relationshipy uh, on surface. It, it wasn't like uh, saccharine sweet where you're like ugh, you know. Right. Um, so yeah. Well, that's in terms of. My one thing, that, that's the one thing that I keyed in on was how advanced, and you know, this is their third record, so it's good to see that there was some development. I don't know, I haven't listened to the first two records, so I, I, I need to go back and check them out. But he definitely has an understanding of melody and and phrasing that I think a lot of people didn't at the time. Um, yeah. And they tended to stick to, you know, the kind of, you know, you'd have your chords and you kind of fit the words in between the chords and stick to a similar phrasing for everything. And um, I think part of that is also because they're not afraid, like, you know, some of the songs tilt more towards, I guess you'd say more like a traditional punk sound. Like um, I felt like, you know, kind of track two out to live the man and some of the other ones. Whereas I could also hear some of that mid nineties jaw box on some of these songs and angular guitars playing off of each other. Um, and the rhythms that are, while in, I guess you'd say a standard time, they're not playing 4-4 style drums. So overall, we can get into what we didn't like in a little bit, but this is kind of a, a little bit of a, not to um, steal the name of the record label, but this is a bit of a revelation uh, with this band. Like I, I was trying to think of like what other bands to compare them to that do everything that they do, and there really isn't 
that I can like say, oh, well, this is just another Jimmy Eat World style band or what have you. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that they're doing that nobody else kind of hit on, which is why I think people have a hard time nailing them down to just emo because yeah. they're not just doing emo. Yeah, no, I didn't. Um, I, I thought of it more as coming from the a Bob Mold kind of direction. Mm -hmm. um, there, I think there's some stuff on here that that is very reminiscent of his uh, either solo material or Sugar. Um, I think a song like Leah sounds a lot like. Well, there's elements of it that are uh, seem to be from his uh, workbook, <laughs> his playbook. Um, yeah, which I think to me starts to once i made that connection whether you know and whether that it was obvious to them or you know not um once i made that connection at least got, gave me some grounding of i think where this band was coming from in terms of how they were putting these elements together i think it's closer to the way that bob mold puts you know alternative and punk and rock and melodies and pop all together So once I put that together, it, a lot of it started to make more sense in terms of who they were, are, what they were going for. Um, I, I also heard some stuff where at times, you know, they could get into a almost like a tool kind of sound. You know, there's some muted, huh. you know, palm muted kind of syncopated rhythms in some of the verses. A song like Different Times were reminiscent of that band. Now, I mean, they don't go it's dark and they don't. It doesn't. It, it's like moments here and there, and, and their choruses are bright and. Um, so it doesn't linger, but it's still uh, there's like a there's a level of musicianship here that I think you could you would hear in a uh, like a jaw box, but it's in a slightly different maybe um, it, it's not quite that technical. You know, there's a proficiency here, but it right. doesn't get into like gymnastics uh, in terms of extreme time signature changes or anything. I mean, there are some some really nice shifts and unexpected twists and turns yeah. that happen, particularly on, I think a lot of the pre-choruses are really strong. Um, there's also some songs that have uh, verses that have kind of two parts to them. And so, so you do get a bit of that, um, you know, dynamic that you get in some of the post hardcore stuff, but it never goes to that extreme. And, and just sampling their earlier material. Yes, they can get aggressive and a little screamy but it's they're not a hardcore band no you know, this isn't like from what i'm hearing it doesn't sound like i think a lot of the emo or post-hardcore that we've uh, talked about i mean they all have origins when you go way way back to starting off as a pure hardcore band and then you know, sort of coming to melody later and uh, just my my impression of what this band is and just going back and listening to the first two records i don't necessarily hear exactly that that journey this mm -hmm. seems like they were pretty unique from the beginning and their sound and they just kept honing it and honing it and they actually maybe got more sort of metallic and, and 
and chunky sounding as they went. But yeah, I think that's uh, they're a unique band in that in that way. And I mean, there's not a lot of bands that sound to me when I listen to them. I'm like, oh, okay, that's I get the Bob Mold Sugar thing. Um, while the while he was super influential, um, I think they put it together in a way that it's, they're very much their own. But I can hear when you break the parts when you break it up into parts. Right. Uh, maybe what the what the ingredients were. Now the. <laughs> To go in an opposite direction of, of Tool and, and Bob Mould, um, uh, in terms of his vocal, because that's kind of what I keyed on, sure. um, the one thing that I heard, which I was not expecting, which but does make sense in terms of him having, at, at his core, he has a very good pop melody sensibility. There's a lot of mm-hmm. choruses on here, and even verses that have really strong melodies. There were times where he reminded me of Dexter Holland from The Offspring. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like on yeah. the verse of different times, like he sounds a lot like yeah. him, and then the chorus of "Shallow Grave" yeah. sounded a lot like it could have been an Offspring. Like even they even double it, so like in the way that like Dexter Holland and it, not when Dexter Holland was singing like the goofy like songs on their third record, but like on that Smash record, I mean, there's some stuff that's pretty like yeah. straight up punk. When they and, get to the cor- when they get to the choruses, yeah. Know. Both bands, there's yeah, there's definitely a similarity there that I heard as well. What on this record did not work for you, or what about it? Mm. Well, I mean, I think it's. Uh, I feel like it's the story of two halves. I mean, I think it starts mm-hmm. off outstanding. I think "Overstand" is uh, the best song on the record. It's two minutes. It's a bit unconventional in how it's structured. Um, it's urgent. It's hooky. Um, it's got twists and turns. I mean, for two minutes, there's a lot packed in there. Um, and I think from there you get a nice mix of that sort of sound with maybe extending themselves a little bit into slower tempos that work. By the time you get to track eight, really through 12 for me, uh, they start to lose their way a little bit. Um, the songs don't sound quite as well-crafted, um, they at times just sound like a hard rock band or unfocused. I think when they try to get slow, it doesn't always work tremendously well. The songs get longer. I don't know if you noticed, but mm-hmm. um, up until track eight, you've only got one song that's over three minutes. And then after track eight, you've got one, two, three, four, four songs that are uh, over three minutes. And the last two are 245 and 236. So I just noticed the songs start to get longer they do a nice job of using background melodies throughout the record, but mm-hmm. um, there's even a song like Everyone I See where uh, even the background vocals aren't quite as well-crafted in that one. <laughs> My note is uh sounds a little like Frankenstein, Tarzan, and Tonto. <laughs> yeah, that's never uh, a good sign. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I think it's just, for me, it's just a... It's a really, really strong record. I just feel like the second half is it's, – it's not bad. It's just pedestrian. It loses I its energy, the, I think. Yeah. They, there's I think a sense the first of urgency. Half is, 
on the first half. And I think the first half is very much feels like a, a, a unique discovery. I don't know for me when I listen listen to this the first couple of times, I felt like that first half of the record. I'm like, wow, how did I not know this band? And you know, this is right. this is pretty different, but still very cool. And then when I get to the second half, I'm like, meh. You know, it's it starts to not feel as special. So, yeah, I think there's just um, not quite the maintain the level of uh, quality I think through the record. Yeah, I, and it might be just a matter of pacing where where they decided to put certain songs, but it feels like the back half gets slower. It's even though there's are some I, for me, it's hits with I, I like track eight, Shallow Grave. When you hit Fiesta, which I feel like it's a more like you said pedestrian sort of vocal delivery. Yeah. Um, Everything from there might have worked better if it was rearranged, but it just seems to start slowing down and and becoming far less interesting than the first eight songs on the record. Because even though this is only a 35-minute record, um, it's still 13 songs. So, you know, if it had hit number eight and then there was maybe like one or two more songs, I wouldn't have any problem with it. But it just felt like there was a couple songs towards the end that they kind of hit this, you know, even if the song got busier and, and louder halfway through, you still had an, a minute and a half to start with that was felt slower. And they kind of did it a couple times in a row where they had slower songs. It just didn't quite work for me. Yeah, I mean, I think in the light of things, is the longest song on the album and probably the weakest for me. And it's right there at track 11, you know, and by that time you're, you need to think about what track you put there, you know, because it's it gets you through the rest of the record, and I don't think it's right. a good a good incentive to get you through to to the last two songs. It's kind of a uh, you're spent at that point. So if the record ended there, I think I'd feel a little different. But right, yeah, I just think there's a couple in there that are just very very average, and it kind of takes the luster off the rest of the record at the end. Yeah, and it's really only because they start out so strong that they've established, look, this is what we got. Mm-hmm. And so they're hitting you with all these interesting, cool songs with great melodies and cool guitar parts. And then when you get to like, you know, the stretch run at the end, it kind of becomes a little bit more average. And mm-hmm. their average is still good, but it just doesn't measure up to the to the first half or first three fourths, I guess. Or yeah. What you do. But there's none of that. There's none of the material. There's no material on this record where you're gonna you know be you know offended or want to turn off it's just right it starts to get you zone, you, you zone over zone out a little bit and glaze over and uh, towards the end that's all yep at least for me all right jay let's talk about our overall ratings on this record were the album better ep or decent single where are you at i'm gonna go for a worthy album i mean even though i was critical about you know the, the latter half i think um their sound is important to go back and, and, and hear for that time period. I do think they there's an aspect of uh, emo that uh, this band definitely tapped into and other bands tapped into after that's distinct within mm-hmm. that genre. I think the, the quality of the songwriting overall is, is high. Um, I think they, they've got a unique approach to, to songwriting as well on a lot of this stuff, which is worth hearing. So... I give it a worthy album. I am going to agree with you. Uh, playing um, omnipotent producer, 
I would probably trim a few songs, make it a 10 or 11 song album. But overall, I think this is, like you said, a very unique find and glad to add it to the catalog of records that I'll add to my discog list, my want list, which is currently at like 28,000 records, I think. And uh, just pile it on to the stuff that I want to get eventually. I think um, we touched on this a little bit, but I just want to state what they're able to do at times in two minutes is really remarkable. I mean, there's a handful of songs on here when you go back and listen and kind of study them. The the fact that they're able to get those ideas cohesively into that time amount of time is, is pretty amazing. So when they're not able to do that, I think it just really stands out. And I think that's really what I'm reacting to. Yeah. And I think the, you know, besides the fact that John Bunch passed away, I think the real shame of the sense field story is that they got robbed of five years of their career because of just negligence by Warner brothers with them, you know, being stuck in limbo because of, you know, staffing changes over and over again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would have loved to have heard what came out. You know, I don't, I haven't listened to that record yet. I've only heard the single. Um, I wasn't in love with it, which they put out. I wonder if it would sound differently. And if they had released it in 1997 or 1998 rather than in 2001. So, but that's just one of those things that, no one ever know the answer to. Yeah. So, Jay, we need to thank our anonymous donor for this very cool pick. We have now filled a hole. The Sensefield hole has now been filled in both of our listening histories. And uh, we're no longer ignorant of this band. If you would like to request a review, like I said, 2016, we're pretty much done. Uh, we've got another request review coming up, but we've also got a bunch of uh, roundtables and interviews and various episodes to take care of. So uh, that'll probably be about it. But you can start on 2017 and you can join us at Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. As I was corrected because I said backslash for the last year. It's forward slash. I didn't know there was. I always thought it was a backslash, but I don't know. Forward slash dig me out. And you can join us at the $1 or 250 level. 250 gets you a review after 12 months, in addition to everything at the $1 level, which is voting on possible upcoming episode reviews, getting bonus material from episodes, advanced information, prizes, secrets, rumors. Innuendo. Innuendo. (laughs) Scuttlebutt. Mm. Some good old scuttlebutt. And uh, we want to say uh, thank you to the 2016 Cleveland Indians who put up a uh, tough fight against the Chicago Cubs. They were undermanned, understaffed, had some injuries throughout the year that uh, injured, hindered them. But uh, Jay, being a Cleveland Indians fan in Texas, and myself uh, living in Ohio, we were uh, proud of the team for uh, doing what they did, taking them to a Game 7, taking to an amazing Game 7. That featured all of the best things about a Cleveland sporting event, a rain delay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'll come back in a heartbreaking loss. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Jay, you will have had in in this year a NBA championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers, a near Cleveland championship just just outs away uh, with the Cleveland Indians, and you're going to have an 0-16 Browns who are going to have the first pick (laughs) 
in the NFL draft. That is quite an accomplishment for uh, for one city. I'm exhausted. <laughs> go, go. Well, take for the nap. Browns, the first pick is is our Super Bowl, so it is. I mean, really, that's all I can ask for. So, who's the uh, the next alcoholic? Uh, you got to combine Brandon Whedon with Johnny Manziel <laughs> and take like an just an alcoholic 33 year old guy. Doesn't even have to play football. Just find some <laughs> some no good. Uh, <laughs> no, now they just don't take quarterbacks. They're just like it's fine people, like old guys and right. You know, fifth got, round picks. And, you got Cody Kessel. You don't even need to draft a quarterback. Uh, oh yeah, we're all set. Him and RG three and Don Strock and whoever else you got playing quarterback. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash digmeout or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. It's all-